This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the New Books Network. And we are live. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another NBN interview. I'm Mel Rosenberg. I'm the host of the Children's Literature Channel of the New Books Network. And today we have a very special guest from Toronto, Canada, Elaine Kachala, who is going to talk about her life, her career, her thoughts, and her wonderful new book, which is entitled Superpower, The Wearable Tech Revolution. Welcome. To the Hello. interview show. Yeah, it's great Thank to meet you. Thank you very much. It's great to meet you too. So um, you're, you published your book with Orca, which is a great publishing house. Fabulous. Uh, for Canadian authors. Um, I'm going to, I, I, I just decided today I'm definitely going to submit there because I'm sort of Canadian. Um, <laughs> and congratulations. Thank so, you. So uh, a, a few you. words. Could you have your book that you can like wave it and show everybody? Yeah, of course. There it is. The illustrator, Belle Wuthrich, is absolutely fabulous. The, the illustrations and the design are just fabulous, just incredible in this book. Yeah, I was this really is, This is, was this really is a good excited. time to, sh- to show the people who are viewing a couple of the wonderful pages. Oh, yeah. There's, um, it's filled with um, many illustrations of uh, people using wearable technology and how our whole bodies are connected to wearable technology these days. And then it's filled with um, photo research too, that many, many of the photos I received from um, the engineers and designers that I interviewed. And so they were so gracious in supplying photos. So it's filled with fabulous photos. Yeah, well, I could go on and show you the whole book. <laughs> but uh, I won't. No, you, you, you'll get in trouble for that. Yeah, <laughs> yes, I might. With your, with- with your publisher. We want to be kind to publishers. All right. So uh, you can pre-order this book and we will provide information. Uh, and uh, that's wonderful. So um, usually I interview people uh, that have written picture books because that's my soft spot. But I also have a soft spot for technology in Canada. Uh, and uh, when you contacted me, I said, oh, wow, I'm going to go outside my comfort zone and interview someone who has written for an audience a little older, I'm guessing 
it's middle nine grade. To, nine to 12, something yeah, like that? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, you know, maybe a little bit younger, maybe a little bit older, but the age range for ORCA, it's part of ORCA Think series, and that's uh, middle readers. Wonderful. So, so how did this happen? You know, um, people who have writing deals uh, for children's books are like one in a zillion million. Uh, great success story. This is your first book. It is. It's your, yeah. fir your first interview. First of um, everything. <laughs> yeah. And I'm so excited. So start at the beginning. Oh, wow. Um, of your life. Oh, my gosh. No, that's too long ago. <laughs> we'll be here for a very long time. Um, I, I started children's writing uh, later in life, as many children writers do. And um, I mean, for for this book, I actually did start down the path. Of hey, Elaine, picture Elaine, books. Do me a favor. Do me a favor. I'm later in life. You're, <laughs> no. you're a youngster. But no, uh, I, 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 I wasn't being facetious. Start at the beginning. Oh, I oh, was gosh. born. Oh, wow. We, we have born, time. Yeah, born um, Toronto, Canada, lived um, lived in the city all my life. Um, you know, that sounds pretty boring, but we do get out of the city and travel around about. But uh, yeah, uh, born and raised in Toronto. Um, I have uh, two daughters and a husband and a beautiful golden retriever. Uh, my daughters are young adults now. Um, and they're 25 and 30. I can hardly believe that. And um, yeah, so uh, born and raised in Toronto, uh, grew up in Toronto, just, you know, ordinary, very ordinary life, ordinary kid, didn't uh, have any passions about being a writer when I was, uh, when I was young, certainly books were, uh, you know, books were uh, part of our lives, for sure, always at the library for doing projects and that sort of thing. Um, I mean, we read. I remember quiet reading times at home. You know, I had my book, my Nancy Drew mysteries, at the corner of the couch, and my mother was See, that, you know, now, sitting now, now beside me. Yeah, now, now we're in the same getting, generation. Yeah. No, 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 <laughs> we are not. I never read Nancy Drew. Oh. I read the Hardy Boys, and oh. I'm a, a generation ahead of you or behind you, dear. Mm. Yeah. So we, uh, you know, I, you know reading books, uh, school, you know, just ordinary average kid. Uh, I mean, I think, um, did I have kind of an inclination towards fiction or nonfiction? I don't know. I remember, um, you know, I remember my parents buying the Encyclopedia Britannica. Do you remember that? And a hard mm -hmm. copy of this, this massive, huge leather bound, I don't know how many volumes. And the, the Britannica Encyclopedia was white with um, gold painting on the on the pages and I remember looking at this thinking this is this is phenomenal this is an incredible amount of information very intimidating but I was struck by you know how valuable kind of it it gave me this impression of the value of information with these books anyways I remember being enthralled by you know encyclopedias um, that didn't go anywhere in terms of <laughs> you know specific career but um, you know um, went through you know school years like uh, most kids um, when I left uh, high school when I graduated high school I didn't have any specific passion or direction I could you could say in mine although I had a little inkling towards the sciences and the technologies and, ori and originally began in um, a medical technology program it used to be called the Toronto Institute of Medical Technology here in Toronto now it's called the Michener Institute and I um, trained as a cardiology technologist ended up working in teaching hospitals ended up in management and um, 
originally thought I was going down the path of um, master's in health administration, but then that started to feel a little bit boring. And as I was doing um, my undergraduate degree at that time as well, um, in sociology, I took uh, sociology and psychology courses, which kind of intrigued me. And I was taking a sociology of health and illness course that really sort of um, broadened my thinking around health and illness and kind of the social, economic, and structural factors that affect people's health. And, and that kind of intrigued me and changed my direction of where I wanted to go for um, a master's work. And I uh, relied on the fabulous advice of two mentors, two professors that I met at the time. And uh, I ended up at um, the York University doing a master in environmental studies, but with a focus in health policy. And so a lot of my work um, over the years as a health policy writer, researcher, uh, advisor was in the area of health planning and healthcare design, but from a population health lens. And so thinking broadly about the factors that affect people's health. And so when I tackle topics, I tend to go big thinking and thinking about the connections between things. And so I think that that played a role in how I approached this work and this topic and why some of the issues um, in this book intrigued me. Um, But as I said, I came to children's writing um, later in life. Um, The roots of this book had their conversation. I was actually at a workshop, um, I'm going to say 2017, where I met um, editors and writers, and it was a workshop. And I was actually there to have a picture book critiqued. I had actually started down the road of thinking I could write a picture book. Um, Okay. Yeah, yeah. So hold on, hold on. So how did this happen? So when I first, uh, uh, back in, so before that, I guess a couple of years before that, I had, I was just looking for a creative outlet. And I, I, I'm not a musician. I'm, I'm not an artist. So I thought, what am I going to do that's creative? Well, I have a lot of experience with writing and, and we love books and, you know, that picture books still from when my kids were, were young. And um, I thought, oh, which, which, which ones, which were your favorites as a kid and as an adult? Oh, <laughs> well, the, you know, when I was a kid, we didn't really have picture books like they have picture books now, but you know, the classics, you know, Curious George, um, the Disney stories, the fairy tales, that kind of thing. Um, but of course, you know, my kids had all so many, so many picture books. I can hardly remember. Very Hungry Caterpillar, you know. Um, oh, I made a note. Um, Robert Munch, Good Night. Yes, I was know, waiting Robert for Munch. that. Oh, classic stories. And You're Canadian. I, I love You're you Canadian. Forever. Oh, yeah, of course. I Love You Forever, that book. Oh, my gosh. I love you forever. Yeah. I so like good. you for always. That book made me cry. As long as yeah. Just singing that makes me cry. Yeah. So, um, so let's have a, a hip hip away for uh, this wonderful Canadian author. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, he was in the news lately. I think his health is declining a little bit. It's sad, but he's contributed so much. Um, yeah. My favorite, I must say, is the paperback princess. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I have that one too. I, yeah, I that think doesn't I have make me cry. No, no. I love it forever makes me cry. Yeah, it does. It does. So I was waiting. Yeah. So okay. So you press the right button with 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 this with this old guy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So Robert Munch, um, Curious George. Um, okay. And and then you woke up one morning. You said, "Oh, 
I have nothing to do today. I'll write picture books. Well, yes, in a way. I mean, um, I had sort of leaked that little secret to my family. And for Christmas, my daughters bought me Anne Whitford Paul's Guide to Writing Picture Books. And I read this and I read it and I reread it. And I thought, this sounds doable. And I thought, you know, what's so hard about this, right? I, ha I hadn't been involved with the publishing world and I hadn't been part of critique groups yet or any of that. And so I started playing around and thought, well, I'll, we have dog, Chuck Tucker now. He's a golden retriever. Now he's 12 and a half, of course, much younger and a bit of a pup then. I thought, well, I'll write stories about him. He was inspiring. And I, I had, I, I, jumped to I jumped to titles in my head and, and that was sort of like my, stepping point for writing a story and so I, I started I had this banner in my head called Tucker's Tale Tells Tales and I thought oh I had so many stories I can write about Tucker and so I started writing all these stories anyways became involved with um, you know uh, Canscape and Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators and going to workshop and critiques groups and drafting all kinds of manuscripts and then probably sent them out way too early um, you know, critique group critique, but not professionally critiqued and, you know, getting all kinds of rejections. And um, I happened to be at this workshop that I was mentioning in 2017 for a critique of this latest draft. Actually, it wasn't a, a Tucker's book. I had, I had other stuff on the go that I was trying out and I had this one story. It was actually, in, I thought, well, maybe I'll go down the road of writing picture books for kids around health issues. And so <clears throat> seemed like a, a good connection. And I had this one book, it was called Brave Alley Mally, and it was inspired by my young daughter who was had a fear of needles, horrible fear of needles. Anyways, I, I had written and rewritten this, this book, I don't know how many times this manuscript, it was just, it was a different book every time. And um, I was at this workshop um, for a critique, but also other sessions um, about this book. And um, just talking to editors and writers. And somehow with this one editor, we got talking about middle grade and we got talking about STEM and STEAM books, which I'm always intrigued by. My daughters work in, the, in those fields and I'm always trying to figure out what the heck they're doing and I'm inspired by their work. Um, and so... I thought, oh, this is sounding interesting. And we were, we were speaking very generally about what kind of books would speak to kids at this point in time. And we'd talked about uh, the impacts of technology on society and very broad themes. Anyways, after the workshop, raced to the coffee shop and started doing some research and thinking, oh, this is sounding interesting. I wonder what I can do here. Go back to the, the workshop and I'd asked if they accept, you know, proposals. So if you're not writing a picture book, you have to do a, a proposal, a nonfiction proposal, which is an outline of what would be in the book and some sample chapters and, you know, a little bit of a marketing pitch and that kind of a thing. So I said, do you accept proposals from unpublished writers? Goes, oh, of course, you know, always looking for new voices. That's what's great about Canadian publishers. And, um, I, uh, I thought, oh, okay, can I send you something? And uh, several months later, so went back home, you know, got onto this new topic and it just became all consuming. Several months later, sent a proposal and he quickly replied and um, there were all kinds of problems with it. 
and it was too broad in focus and the voice wasn't quite right. And I was, I mean, so I was learning about the topic and I was learning about writing for middle grade. There was lots of new learning going on. But anyways, long story short, we went back and forth for up to two years, pretty much two years. He was giving me uh, incredible advice and incredible support to keep going. He liked the idea, but I, I just wasn't nailing it properly. And so we went back and forth. Um, and then finally, uh, at about the two-year mark, he said, you know, I think we've gone as far as we can. I wish you the best of luck. Um, but, you know, I, this isn't right for our publishing house. And I thought, oh, okay. But I had opened and, you know, I was sad, but I, I got it. I mean, there was obviously I had more learning to do. I just, you know, barely been a year kind of on, on this new genre that I was writing for. And I happened to be at a workshop, a nonfiction workshop for writing for kids when I had opened this last rejection email. And the timing was perfect because then I got feedback from the group on his feedback. And, um, and that was a real turning point for me. And I restructured and refocused and pared down the topic and um, did a lot more research, research and ultimately ended up focusing and really it wasn't focused on wearables until that point and so um i got to looking more deeply into the research oh and i brought in my own sort of personal healthcare background i started reflecting on what i was seeing in work at the time i worked for an organization called the council of academic hospitals of ontario where our role was to advocate for health research funding and so we worked with the research hospitals and there was all kinds of incredible research going on there using wearables for people with disabilities uh, right through, you know, from kids right through to elderly. And so I thought, hmm, why didn't I think about this before? Like this is such a meaty topic in and of itself. And, and the more research I dug into and then I started realizing or becoming aware of this kind of whole era of responsible innovation and some of the issues and challenges around responsible um, in, in order to develop technology responsibly, which I didn't quite think about from a healthcare perspective. I hadn't really thought of any of that, such a, such a high burden of, you know, a high level of ethics in healthcare and all kinds of committees when research projects go through. I just, I really didn't know the outside world and I, I hadn't really sort of clued in to some of the huge issues that were going on. Anyways, this made me refocus, and so I restructured the um, proposal, and um, then I got the um, advice of a, an author who I had taken a, a course with in the past, and he's, you know, I don't published 100 books kind of thing, and he did a professional critique for me, and he said, oh, you, you really have something here, and I think you've nailed the voice, and I think you've nailed the approach, and it's not too technical, and you may want to contact Orca Book Publishers and talk to Kirsty Hudson, um, the nonfiction editor there. And I went, oh, oh, my goodness. And uh, I said, well, and, and can I use your name? Can, <laughs> can you connect me with Kirsty? And he says, of course. So I did. And as it happens, they were just launching their um, Orca Think series, which is a series for middle readers um, that introduces uh, kids to issues in the headlines and helping them you know, think critically and ask questions about complicated topics and, and it fit right into that series. And so that is how this story came about many, many threads coming together. Okay. 
<clears throat> but they have to because the chance of getting published is so small. It's very there's challenging. Always, yes, there's always a, a story behind the story. Um, so that's, that's wonderful. Um, so can you, uh, just for our listeners and viewers, um, give one or two sentences about what the book deals with? Okay, so it's a, a gentle introduction to wearable technology, what it is, how it works, and the exciting ways that it's changing people's lives and improving people's lives in many ways. And so there are all kinds of stories about you know, how wearables helping people survive, thrive, and live better lives, but they're computers for our minds and bodies. And so um, the book delves deeper into some of the challenges and dangers of the technologies and readers meet um, engineers, scientists, designers who are evaluating the pros and cons of the technology, considering the idea of can innovation go too far? And I speak with young inventors too. Um, they're featured in the book um, and they have some fabulous insights into this. And so there are little um, sort of catchy sidebars throughout the book that kind of prompt readers to sort of pause and reflect like, oh, I didn't realize there were some dangers around this technology or, oh, uh, maybe not everybody agrees that we should be enhancing our bodies with technology and can innovation even go too far? And in many cases, the answer is yes, actually, we're moving into some crazy ethical territory here. And so how, you know, what are the choices um, we make as a society if we're going to develop this technology and put it out there um, so that many people can benefit? The technology also has potentially some unintended consequences and how do we develop technology responsibly? And so the final chapter goes into a little bit of an overview of what does responsible design mean? Okay, before I ask you the question that I had reading the book, um, there's also a, uh, a very famous Canadian. You know, oh, the boy. God, godfather of uh, The of father wearables. of wearable computing, Dr. Steve Mann. Exceptional, brilliant scientist engineer did you, get, did you get to did you get to meet him not in person uh, i was doing through the this book all through covid and so we have not met yet but he um very graciously and quickly um answered all my questions through um email he was one of the fact checkers on the manuscript um as uh, were other engineers and designers and he provided me with some of the fabulous photos of him in the book um, and the evolution of his technology, um, he invented augmented reality. And a few other things. Uh, just a few so, other things. Yeah, so, so, <laughs> he has many so patents he, he, and wearables. Yeah. Yeah. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So, so here, okay, so I'm reading the, the, uh, the, the book, and it's really a wonderful book. Uh, it doesn't skirt the issues. Uh, it talks about all the aspects. Uh, it talks about all the good things that wearables can do. Um, and it also talks about the dangers to society, the dangers to the individual. And I think it's wonderful that uh, you are bringing 
this to two young children for, for whom um, they treat, I suppose, wearables as the same way that we drink water. And you're saying, hey, hold on a second. However, keep in mind the indeed. So, but what I'm thinking when I'm reading the book is that is there such a difference today between a wearable watch, which I have on, and my phone, which is not a wearable, but it's in my pocket? Right. I mean, phones are like extensions of our bodies now, aren't they? Yeah. So you don't talk about phones too much in your book, but no, are they, I mean, are they, are they, are they wearables or not wearables? No, it's not attached to your body. It's not collecting, inf- well, well, it's potentially tracking your location and everywhere you go and everything you do, but it's not physically, it doesn't have sensors and it's not collecting, you know, biometric data that, well, it could if you set it up that way, but it, it did not fall under the category of wearable. And I guess, mm-hmm. yeah, I, it, it, it it's, a, it's, really, a, it's a it's a it's a semi wearable. It's a semi wearable. Yeah, it's we treat sm- it as a wearable. We yeah, keep it in smearable, our pockets. Yeah, wearable, yeah. swearable. Yeah, but it's not and, physically integrated with your body. I mean, if you look at, um, I guess, Dr. Steve Mann's I- vision or idea of a computer and the whole concept of um, humanistic intelligence, it's a it's a device that's you know interacting com- computationally, working with your body. The, the sensors and the, um, the the computer in the wearable is tracking um, and and sensing what your body wants to do, what it needs to do, and it's processing that information through machine learning algorithms, and then it's uh, understanding what you need to do, and then producing an output. And it, so it's something that's constantly on your body, uh, constantly accessible, constantly ready to interact. That's not a phone. So okay, so so yeah. I think that so this is the this is a big distinction, and I'm glad that you made it. And this is one of my take-home lessons from your wonderful book, is that the advantage of a smartphone isn't whether it's a wearable or not. It's that you have it's a it's like it's like push. In other words, yeah. in order for it to become a wearable, you have to take it out of your pocket. Yeah. Open an app, touch it, press it somewhere. Exactly. Uh, and then it, be- then it becomes a wearable, but it's you who decides exactly. to make it a wearable. Right. Exactly. Yeah. 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 That's an important distinction. So so thank you for, for making that and, and, and raising this question. Um, so are you concerned? I know, you know, you, you, you played both sides. You were kind of rabbinical in this, uh, <laughs> in this book. Yeah. And I'm going to, I mean, gonna now. I think there's certainly more benefit to be gained. Um, than risk. Would I use a wearable? Yes, but cautiously. I don't have actually, uh, I don't have a smartphone or or I don't have smartwatch to track my exercise. When I was trying to uh, consider the value of the wearable, I was trying to figure out what do I really want it to do? I do have a wearable. It's it's one actually that um, was invented by Dr. Steve Mann and it's the Muse brain sensing headband. And so it's for relaxation and meditation. And there's all kinds of, there's the um, electroencephalograph built into this little pod here. And then it has all kinds of sensors. And so it's, it, it collects information about your brain waves and your br- heart rate and breathing. And then, but you, it's connected to an app on your phone. And if you are, you know, you know, breathing too fast and in stress mode, it will prompt you 
to relax through um, through whatever so, app that you have. You... So there's intervention. So like I see value in that. I think as wearables get better and more sophisticated and there's more of a coaching element to it, I think that um, would make me buy other wearables or invest in other wearables. I think I wasn't convinced just about it, the it, data it's, it's funny. It's funny that you don't have a watch. I don't have a watch and I exercise like crazy, but I didn't feel like that was something I needed. Um, in fact, you know, sometimes wearables can, you have to know how to interpret and understand and use the data so that it's valuable and not also get freaked out by the data. Um, actually, I have a neighbor who used the smartwatch to track some sleep and she was so stressed out by how, what, information she was getting back from this wearable because it was telling her she was sleeping, you know, two or three hours a night. And was, how can that be? This can't be. And she ended up, you know, and as it happens, smartwatches are not accurate for many, unless it's, I haven't heard of any that are as, as accurate for tracking sleep as the, the Muse wearable that uh, Dr. Mann's created. But um, so the device has to be accurate. How do you know it's accurate? How do you know it's giving you the right information? And what's, what's the value versus the risk? So all your information is being collected by who knew? I mean, Google bought Fitbit, right? That was a whole big fuss back several years ago when Google bought Fitbit. So it's kind of, um, you know, it's a value. But my daughters have, uh, you know, they have smartwatches and they use them for... Yeah, but your, do your, your daughters, as you divulged, are, are now young adults. Mm -hmm. uh, what are you going to tell a, the mother of a nine-year-old? My daughter wants a smartwatch. Yeah. For her birthday. Uh, yeah. For what purpose? I, well, I would also be cautious about where I would be getting the, the wearable from. So if you go on some websites, um, they will say you own the data, you know, and so you know like you have to try to understand the data policy too, which is another section mm -hmm. in the book. I think some, yes. some sites are getting better at having plain language policies. Normally you just sort of click here and who knows what you've just uh, signed yeah, up for. As, as you said in the book, look, I'm guessing that a lot of the companies that even say that they don't mine the data, mine the data. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because there's really no way of you knowing right. uh, that they're, that they're mining the data. And um when companies can do something, yeah. uh, they often do do them. Uh, I, I'm, I'm already inured to the fact that my phone listens to me all the time. Um, multiple companies listen to my phone, uh, know where I am, know what I'm saying. Uh, and and that's smart. okay for an adult. And my watch too. Yeah, I know. Well, it's not, it's not okay. okay for now. No, I shouldn't say it's okay. It's not okay. But what, but yeah. You're aware what about, of that. What about a child? What about I would a nine-year-old? Yeah, I would say I probably wouldn't be getting my nine-year-old a smartwatch. Okay, but but you would get them a smartphone because nine-year-olds around the world are getting smartphones. Yeah, I don't know if I'd be getting my nine-year-old a smartphone. And I can consider when. Um, I mean, my daughters didn't get phones till they had to use the TTC, uh, or the, the, the Toronto Transit. Elaine, Elaine, I have grandchildren. I have a nine-year-old granddaughter. It's a okay. different world. Okay, it is. You're right. It is. Um, yeah, ask your readers. I say it's a tough call. I say it's a tough call. You got to be, you know, you got to be connected. You got to be, you know, part of everything that's happening. But you also have to know the risks. Yeah, they, they can have a phone without having a watch. 
the wa the watch is I find it very helpful for me, uh, and that's because I take it off at night, and I don't use it to monitor my sleep. Mm. It's not a, it's really none of my watch's business. <laughs> mm -hmm. But during the day, it's you know he's good. Mel, get up and walk around. Yeah, uh, for sure. Mel, you scored a touchdown. Mel, I'm doing a lot more exercise. That that so, that is true. It does. There is some. There is evidence that it's it's a good prompt for people and a good motivator to get people exercising for sure. Yeah, absolutely. There's there's value. There's value in all of them for sure. But okay. So, so what what do you what do you think is going to happen? I know that uh, you're not a futurist. <laughs> Uh, but you have interviewed several, and um, and your book is dealing with uh, something that we only understand now. We don't know where it's going to be in five or ten years. So, to what extent will these wearables uh, become part of our bodies? Do you think they're now strapped on for the most part? Mm -hmm. For the most part. For the most part. Yep. Yeah. So you where know, where will they be in five or ten years? Yeah, it's, you know, it's hard to say. I, I guess it, you know, in part, it might depend on what level of um, intrusion is required. Are people going to start having surgery to have these things implement implanted? Probably not. But if it's, you know, like if it's a something that's attached to your body and through, through sensors and that sort of thing. Do I think these things are going to be uh, more popular? Yeah. I mean, Elon Musk is trying to uh, <laughs> um, have a brain implant and he calls it like a Fitbit for your brain where, you know, he approaching it very positively from, you know, the idea of helping people with, you know, a brain challenges whether it's whether it's age or whether it's some other side of disease or disability are these things um, going to be um, happening I mean I from what I can tell it's far down the road I mean if I if I listen if I listen to what the experts around brain computer interface technology are talking about that um, it's not anytime soon that we're going to be having brain implants in our brain <clears throat> nor is it going to be happening soon that this technology will be able to read your mind, so to speak. But the, it, it, it's all within the realm of possibility at some point. And so that's why now we have to be talking about um, the ethical implications and how far do we go with but, the technology and what are the rules we need around them? Now, are okay, they just this, for medical? It, yeah, does this make you more excited or more worried? Both. <laughs> I can, no, you both. have to choose one. That, that was a four. That was a forced yeah. choice question. Ah, uh, yeah, I Are know. You more excited or more? Yeah, I, I'm going to say I'm more excited. If I, uh, I'll tell you, if I was a person with um, a disability that could be helped by this technology, I think that that value probably potentially outweighs a lot of the risk for me personally. But yeah, I think some big things need to be considered. Um, I, I think I, imagine, imagine a scenario where some 10 year olds have implants and uh, they're doing really well on their exams. <laughs> and why is that? Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know. A huge they, they don't need to huge, bring books to school. Huge equity issues, huge equity issues in terms of technology, you know, haves and haves nots have and have nots. Um, I think that that, is going to be a huge issue 
um, you know, wearable. You know, a lot of my um, work in the past was around understanding um, the social determinants of health and planning communities and healthcare systems to address those broader issues that are impactful on someone's health and well-being. And then I saw the line written somewhere wearable as a determinant, as a social determinant of health. And I went, oh my goodness. Okay. Yes. Yes. These are huge issues that we need to talk about, you know. So, so, um, I, so, so. what I'm thinking is that uh, parents of children, I'm thinking what, from the third grade to the sixth grade, something like that, um, are going to want to buy these books because children live in a wearable world. They absolutely do. And um, you've addressed so many issues. And um, uh, it's a very Canadian book. Uh, <laughs> and uh, it made me, I, I left Canada 50 years ago, but I'm still oh, okay. so proud Canadian. to interview Canadian <clears throat> writers and Canadian publishers. And, what makes it a Canadian book in your, in your view? Um, the way it's balanced? It, <laughs> yes, and the, and the social okay. ethic. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 You know, I, Canadians worry about these things more than other people. Um, and that is true. And they, by and large, they're, they're more in favor of um, everybody having a shot and everybody having medical care and everybody. Um, I, I don't want to start trashing the United States, but, um, but Canadians worry about Canadians. That is true. Well, that's good. That I, I'll take that as a compliment. <laughs> that it's a Canadian book. <laughs> it, yeah. it, it is. Yeah, you can you, you can tell it's um and, and partly partly because of your pride in the uh, in the Canadaness of some of the uh, inventors and inventions. Oh yeah. Um, not not yeah. every field not every field has Canadians at the forefront. Yes, but, uh, where, wearables does. Yes, um, it does. Uh, although many of the. Uh, Inventors in the book are American too, and many of those who are are speaking out um, are are American and from the large corporations. You know the the quotes in the book from Brad Smith at Microsoft and Mary Lou Jepsen, who is inventing the the, the wearable technology that um, will um, sort of <sighs> decrease the ability. Right now, you have to have um, an MRI machine, a, la a magnetic renaissance machine, machine, which is hugely expensive and not available in three quarters of the world to diagnose brain diseases. She's trying to build this into a cap, but she's very outspoken and she has many, many um, interviews and podcasts and so forth that she does around the implications, the ethical implications of a technology that can one day fit in your hat and read your brain. So, but, but Elaine, um, I can tell you as, okay. as, as an inventor... Uh, we're very outspoken until a big company buys our invention. Then well, suddenly we become much, much quieter. Yes, except she's actually done the opposite. She, she was a, a head. Uh, a I'm not talking about her. I'm just thinking, yeah, no, but she went general. from a huge corporation to her <laughs> own um, company so that she can, you know, talk about these things where yeah, you can't also, often at the big companies. Exactly. Sure. So the, the, yeah. the more credit to her. Yeah. Um, now let's go back to your writing career. Uh, so you, you signed uh, for this book with an agent or without an agent? No agent. No agent. So um, now that you're published with this fine book that's coming out in three weeks, uh, are you going to get an agent? Are you submitting? Are, are you becoming mm -hmm. a children's author now? 
Um, I hope so. Oh, so, so how is that going for you? What are you doing now? So I have some other projects that I've been working on. They're all in the hopper. I haven't sent anything out yet. Um, they have uh, some um, improvements. <laughs> I need to make some improvements before I send Including picture it books? Yes, I have one, but I can't talk about it because it's changed a million times. Um, but yeah, but that's, that, I, I have that's a goal what they're of writing. To do. Yeah, I have a goal of writing a picture book one day for sure. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I don't have enough material to get an agent right now. And I'm not sure I need one right now. So many, at least Canadian publishers right now, they're all open. Um, you don't need an agent to submit. And there's some fabulous publishers in Canada. So I, I'm not nearly ready for that. Okay. I, I hope that the, in the bucket list, there's some fiction also. I'm, I'm, a, big, I'm a big believer in fiction. Yeah. For, uh, for uh, picture book uh, people. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But maybe it's, it's just me. I, I I spent you know forty years as a scientist, and I love fiction. I I don't think that I I don't know that after having written this book, I'm not sure I'm the right person to write a fiction book. But I, you don't, I, I don't know until you style. try. Yes. Well, I tried. Yeah. <laughs> for no, the other picture books, so that was. I I remember I remember yeah. Tucker and the in mm. the tiny tales. Mm. But um, yeah, I, I will. Yeah, we'll give it a try. Everything, everything's Abs on the table. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, listen, uh, Elaine Kachala from Toronto. Where in Toronto are you speaking from? I'm in the West End, Etobicoke, not too far, 20 minutes outside. Yeah, Etobicoke, that's, that's not Toronto. Yeah, sure it is. We're 20 minutes from no, downtown. It's like, it's like Hamilton saying that they're in Toronto. Oh my gosh, no, no. We're Etobicoke is Toronto. Yeah, yeah, it's all one city now. For years so i so i'm in yeah. toronto too <laughs> just a little outside toronto yeah yeah six thousand miles six thousand miles so, outside toronto yeah I, I i do hope that the i will meet you oh, uh, i want to, con con to congratulate you on on this fine book thank you uh, such a difficult subject to bring to to young young people not to mention adults and you've done such a wonderful the I, I it, thorough and 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 lots of questions and 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 not force feeding and not spoon feeding, um, it's really a lovely book. So hold it up again for everybody to see. Uh, Superpower: The Wearable Tech Revolution by Elaine Kachala, uh, brought to you by Orca, a wonderful publisher, uh, O Canada, and mm -hmm. it's been wonderful having you on the Children's Literature Channel of the New Books Network. Oh, thank so Elaine, you. Kachala, be well, publish more books. Thank you. And uh, I'll be happy to interview you when they are out also. Well, thank you again. And thank you for the I, opportunity. I believe, I believe in you. I think you're going to be. Thank you. A, thank you. I mean, if you, if you stay the course, you will be a terrific author. And Perseverance I is a first, key. Yes. And I will have been the first person to interview you. Yes. And to tell everybody that you are going to be very famous. <laughs> thank you. So thanks, Elaine, very thanks much. so much. Thank you. My Have pleasure. A great day. You too. Bye bye. Bye.